Hello, once this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson and we're here talking all things in Salford. It's our Christmas special. I'm joined by James Sweetland James. How has your Christmas been so far? Oh, wonderful Christmas, Rob. A fantastic time with the family downing those pigs in blankets by the dozen. I think I say every year on our Christmas show that that is my favourite part of the festive season. And I assume it's yours as well, Rob. Yeah, the pigs in blankets, the games around the Christmas tree, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, full of sport, football, sometimes rugby. It's a magical time of the year for all sports fans, James. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, it's your daughter's first Christmas, isn't it? So how did she enjoy it? Uh, her first trip with Santa, I suppose it would have been. Oh, it's magical. Never mind her. I loved it as well. Uh, when we obviously <laughs> went to visit him uh, in his... Uh, in his Santa's grotto, I had to move her out of the way. I wanted to get there first and tell a big man what I wanted. And then, obviously, I gave her the opportunity as well. She was all big white eyes. So was my son as well. Uh, both, you know, mesmerised by the, the, the big man in the red suit. So when you had to sit on his lap, Rob, what did you tell him you were after this Christmas? <laughs> so after I sat on his lap, James, what was I after? That was the question. I had a big list, <laughs> pulled out my pocket, went through... Uh, Amazon uh, and 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 said this I want this I want this I want this and he just looked at me like you know what what about your your, your kids and that was the important thing because it's that's what is important about Christmas it's it's your kids and spending time and, and seeing the joy in their faces but also what's going on in the world of sport James that's also important with the football and and things like that. it really is magical for everyone yeah I mean I'm surprised actually that you were that you didn't ask for a Salford Red Devils league win. Yeah, uh, from Father Christmas, but uh, I suppose it's time for that in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that, James. Also, there is some very nice gear come out of uh, of Salford Devils uh, this uh, off season. So I'm sure Santa and his elves have been busy, uh, sort of sewing away, making shirts for the Salford faithful because obviously, you know, they want to be kitted out ready for the the new season in 2022. Well, I'm sure those Salford shirts will have been deposited all over Europe from uh, Santa and his helpers. I'm sure. I'm sure it is, James. And, and obviously, you know, with, with the UFC and, and, and boxing as well, I'm sure there's the shorts to be made, there's gloves to be created as well. You know what I mean? It's not just football and rugby. You know, the, these elves will be busy getting all kinds of sporting equipment together. Well, they're all busy getting these sporting fixtures sorted because, of course, he played a big impact on that. I believe that uh, boxing is particularly big in the North Pole. But uh, <laughs> I imagine, actually, as you, as you talk about those uh, Salford rugby shirts going all over the world, I think potentially the most prominent place that they might be going to at the moment is Ghana. Indeed. Indeed. We obviously with the uh, the link up with, with Ghana, I'm sure there'll be uh, a sleigh worth going down there for our new uh, Ghanaian friends to, uh, to to be able to wear and promote uh, both the club and the sport. And I think it's fantastic. The likes of uh, Paul Traer and Paul King have managed to get this uh, link up. Obviously, it's going to build the, the sport up in Ghana uh, and a strong Ghana will make the, the sport stronger and it's important the international scene uh, gets bigger and gets stronger and gets more profile because obviously rugby league can be quite domesticated James you know they talk about the M62 corridor uh, and I'm sure you know when you go to other countries and promote the game like France uh, and things like that you know people get interested and it just grows the, the sport a bit like rugby union rugby union is kind of the other way around it's massive internationally and it kind of struggles domestically so you kind of see in that rugby league are trying to get a foot in both camps, both internationally and and uh, and locally. Uh, but there is a long way to go on that on that far on that part. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, I suppose you'll be hoping now with the development 
of Ghanaian rugby and the link that they have with Salford that maybe in 10 years they can get into the Rugby League World Cup and stuff mm. like that. No, that's, that's the important thing, James, because you you want um, you you want a strong and a strong international games. If you get a strong international game, James, you know the TV deals get more more expensive. They get you know get more money in the sport, uh, and then it and then more people get involved in the sport, and that's the important thing. Um, and and you just kind of hoping Salford can ride the waves. We've had a, a couple of good seasons. Obviously, Watson has departed last season under Richard Marshall was a bit hit and miss. Paul Rowley's come in this season um, and he's, he's got a squad there that, you know, will compete. And if there was one Christmas present I'd love, um, it would be the people of Salford to get behind Salford Red Devils. Paul Trainer, Paul King, the people behind that club are working so hard to take Salford to the top and not just a flash in the pan success, James. They want to create a, a, a dynasty and they're going the right way about it. They're building from the bottom up. So, you know, I'm sure the people of Salford who are listening to this show, uh, you know, while having their uh, Christmas parties with family and friends in a socially distanced way, safely. I'm sure, you know, they'll be talking, they'll be talking about coming down to the AJ Bell Stadium uh, next season and supporting the boys. And I'm sure us as a as a sports show on Salford City Radio, we'll, we'll do our best to cover all the highs and lows following Salford Red Devils and Swint Lions, because obviously it's important that Rugby League is strong in the area. Swint Lions doing very well, obviously. Relegated last season, but they've they've invested in a squad and they brought players in there that I think will will take them back to the the first division. So, hoping that we'll have a, a successful season in in rugby league in this season, and uh, you know me and Paul will be covering it for you on the sports zone. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to be another fantastic year for you and Paul. And you were talking, I think, a couple of weeks ago about some of your new signings and the importance of them. Mm. And I think it feels like all the right noises are coming out of Salford for an extremely successful season. You're right, James. It's it's important we we continue to grow and continue to succeed because I've always said with Salford Red Devils, you need to be successful for a, a substantial amount of time. It's okay having one great year and then the next year you finish bottom and get relegated. That's not sucks. That's not brilliant. That won't grow crowds. The Salford people want to follow a team who is successful. If Salford get to playoffs every year and get to quarterfinals, semifinals of the Challenge Cup, which isn't off the radar, James, they're not miles away from that. If they can manage to do that for a run of sort of three and five years, the people of Salford will take this team to the heart and yeah, we, we've had a couple of years of, of, of success. We've got to a grand final, we've got to a Challenge Cup final and we and we just need a run. We need to continue to reach them quarterfinal stages and win games at home, nick the odd one away and, and we can continue to grow. And I'm sure the people of Solvent listening to this will want to support their team because they want identity. A lot of Salfordians are passionate about being from Salford and they have a, a vehicle to to sort of run with that passion and, and I'm sure they'll be back in the team in 2022. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. But now we're going to talk a little bit about football because, of course, we've got so much coming up. But let's break down a couple of games to Manchester United. First things first, the Burnley fixture, Rob. Of course, me being from Preston, I've always despised Burnley and I'm hoping <laughs> that Ralph Rangnick can uh, can do a good job for us as he has been doing so far and we can win that game. No, snoo- no, no smooching any Burnley fans under the mizzle, so James. 
No, absolutely not. A, a disgusting <laughs> prospect and one that uh, I think you should apologise for even bringing up. <laughs> no, you have to do it in social distance way now, James. You have to, you have to know him now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Um, Burnley are a tricky side. They come to Old Trafford, uh, you know, wanting to get a result. Uh, Ralph Randnick has come in. Um, he's had a few games now to get his uh, his his, tea, his ducks in a line, we'll say. Um, and it'll be interesting because obviously Burnley are a team that usually trouble Manchester United. So if we can get a result against Burnley on the uh, on the 30th of December, uh, it will give us confidence going forward because I've always said with the Christmas period, James, I don't know whether you feel the same way. Um, if you can win the games in that period because the games come thick and fast don't they in that in that two weeks around Christmas and if you can get a run and, and win of all of them or nearly all of them it can catapult you up the uh, up the league so you're hoping uh, that Ralph can uh, can motivate his players uh, but don't forget this uh, this high press strategy will take a lot out of the players won't it the, the legs will be burning like mad won't they and uh, obviously with Christmas you'll have full tummies as well and maybe sore reds so it's going to be a, a real challenge uh, for the players yeah, it'll be tough for the squad have all been on the books for over the <laughs> yeah. Christmas period but it's still a game we should win I think the Burnley fixture. And then we've got the Wolves game as well. And uh, a side who've iconically been a difficult team to play over the mm. past few years. So how do you expect us to get on there? Yeah, Wolves, another tough side. Jimenez is back for them, scoring goals. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's, like I said, James, if Manchester United want a challenge at the top of the Premier League, they've got to beat the likes of Wolves and Burnley. To, to reach it if, you, if you're dropping points against teams like that at this period of the season your title hopes or your top four uh, dreams you know might be over and obviously we don't want that this early in in the well halfway through the season you want to be able to if you can get to january february and you're still in the hunt uh, it'll give everyone confidence and, and then who knows what happens but like i said christmas is always difficult you know games coming thick and fast but that's the measure of the team that's the measure of ralph Rannick. you know can he make these players tick and if we can steam christmas and get results and get wins and teams other teams drop off uh, who knows what might happen. And then moving on to Manchester City, a couple of tougher games, probably a tougher Christmas schedule than we've got. Uh, a game against Brentford away from home and the London side have done better than expected this season. But of course, you're expecting City, the class on display to get through that. Yeah, Brentford, you know, we, we talked about, you know, teams coming in the Premier League and being a, a sort of a breath of fresh air and Brentford play that way. They, they, want, they want to go forward, they want to attack. Manchester City, full of stars, full of internationals, play a specific way. Uh, will they feel... Will they want to sacrifice games in this period? Don't forget, Man City are, are, are attacking on all fronts. Will they see Christmas as an opportunity to rotate that squad? Will Pep Guardiola want to give players, important players in, in that team, like Gundaman and uh, Dibanya, will they want to give players like that rest? Sterling, you know, there's players who are playing lots of games at Man City now. And is this an opportunity to rotate that squad? And when you start rotating, even though they are good players, James, they're not top, top players who are on the bench for a reason. They're all internationals. But if you're not playing consistently and you come in from the cold, literally because it's winter, you come in in the cold and you're not 
on it, teams like Brentford might unsettle you and might put the pressure on. What, what do you think? Is is that Brentford game a potential banana skin for Pep? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you're just coming off the back of Christmas, aren't you? And you're taking that long trip down to London. Not really what you want to do, not ideal, but you still feel that Manchester City should have the edge, shouldn't they? I mean, really, I mean, but then again, I suppose they've got to do a sort of similar game quite long after because they're playing Brentford and then straight back after that, they've got Arsenal on New Year's Day. Before we break the game down quickly, Rob, have you got any New Year's plans? New Year's plans? I've got two children now, James, so my my New Year's Eve's out and about living the dream and uh, in the in the night realms, I'm probably going to be more daytime shopping, uh, you know, visiting family and things like that. What about you? You, you man about town, still, still young enough uh, to to skip the like La Fandango in the old pubs and clubs of uh, Preston. I mean, to be fair, Rob, I'm only young on paper, really, because uh, <laughs> I feel ancient. I feel far past my prime in terms of going out, and I'm not sure I've got much left to give to the game. And when I do head on these nights out, you know, I can feel the body. It's not the same way it used to be. Mm. And uh, you've got to know when father time's catching up. So I don't know if I'll be going out. But uh, I suppose the more appealing option to me right now, Rob, would be the Hootenanny, Jules Holland. It's Jules Holland uh, playing the old piano, singing the old classic James, bringing in the old New Year. Every year, the likes of uh, BBC, don't forget there is, there is other channels you can watch as well. But they, they bring in uh, the New Year with... with uh, with bands and, and, and songs. And that's important, obviously, you know, with, with the, the sporting action that you get, the entertainment as well. Um, and I'm sure, you know, our listeners will be tuning into that, go to bed, waking up and, and ready for New Year's Eve and the football. Well, of course. But something that disappoints me there, Rob, and I, I feel it's a bit almost fraudulent, Okay, is that that particular show is not recorded on New Year's Eve. And the countdown they do, right. that I believed in from being a young child, isn't real. Okay. So uh, I don't know how to feel about Jules Holland anymore, and oh. I've not quite got the same relationship with the the pianist that I used to have. Well, what happens if there's a slight? What happens if there's a slight delay in the in the record? Obviously, if you're saying it's is pre-recorded, your words, not mine. But if if they if it is pre-recorded and the timings are slightly out, obviously we know with the uh, with with radio timing is everything. So if they're five seconds out. I mean, what what happens? Then everyone jumps up five seconds early. I don't know if you'd realise, though, would you, Rob? In the moment, would you not just go with the flow? <laughs> there's there's always somebody. It's it's like it's like when you when you're at football matches with these VAR decisions, isn't it? When you score and everyone's jumping around, and there's always a guy next to you tapping his he's, he's looking at the video there, and you never have to settle down again, don't you? Because we're not sure whether we've scored or not. So it might be a bit like that this uh, this uh, New Year's celebration when Drew Holland's is five seconds uh, behind everyone else. Or in front of everyone else. Sorry, are you implying that we're going to VAR the hooting, Annie? (laughs) That's that's it. We need to make sure that Big Ben uh, rings his bells at the right time. Absolutely. Well, it's of paramount importance. But anyway, moving on to the actual fixture, which I suppose everybody will want to hear about. Arsenal had a really tough start to the season. I think we were all enjoying their their demise, it seemed, as they Mm. were bottom of the table at one point. But they've picked it up from now. Arteta looks to be doing a decent job now. And do you think they've got a chance against City? Yeah, Arteta. We, you know, we talked about it, didn't we? Uh, struggling earlier on the season, and could it be his uh, sort of uh, you know moment he, he leaves Arsenal? But he seems to have turned the corner, hasn't he, at the moment, and um, inviting Man City 
on New Year's Day uh, down to London to play will be a big challenge. I'm sure the Arsenal faithful will be fired up for that contest. Uh, you know, big players, Man City, every Arsenal player, like I said, PR, um, the centre forward, Abiyami Yang might want to, you know, show what he's got. Uh, and we're, and we're, we're hoping for a good game, James, because obviously these New Year fixtures are very strange because obviously you're playing so many games in such a quick amount of time. You do get sort of weird scores sometimes. So we're saying, oh yeah, Man City are a good side. But if you played, what, two games in three days, you know, who knows what might happen. They might, you know, might come unstuck against Arsenal. I mean, they might do, mightn't they? Because it is such a weird period for everybody. Mm. I mean, obviously, if you're just a normal person, you sort of forget what day it is, don't you? Yeah. And that sort of break between Christmas and New Year, because you're still wearing your pyjamas and eating whatever's left over of Christmas dinner. It's just a weird time. So I don't know what it's like for a professional athlete who has to... I mean, some will be strictly professional, won't have any Christmas dinner, and then there's the others who who probably will indulge a little bit, and maybe their bodies are a little bit off for those first few games back. And I mean, I suppose they're only human, but it's not the most professional thing to do in the world. And a lot of these fixtures can come down to just who's been the more professional over the Christmas break. Yeah, I think it's a bit sad, really, because obviously, if you played Boxing Day, it means you have to train Christmas Day. So then, if you've got kids, you believe, don't you've got a goal, to training you, you might miss that kind of opening the presents moment where if with like you say christmas day and all the eating in between and the sleeping at different times and stuff like that and playing you can imagine you know laying in bed and the phone goes and you say hello who's that and it's pep guardiola saying where are you rob you know we're at we're at arsenal one way and we're setting off in 20 minutes and you're like whoa you know what i mean <laughs> you get wondering if you know professional footballers like fall into that trap of not knowing what day it is yeah, I mean, I find it extremely amusing if Pep Guardiola rang you up on uh, during the Christmas break and asked, where are you, Rob? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've had a fantastic year all in all, haven't we, Rob? Yes. And I just wanted to look back with you. Uh, I actually had to write an article the other day for the sport about some of the best matches. And I counted yeah. down the five best Go on, of this calendar year. And uh, I'm going to go through them with you. And you okay. sort of give me your opinions and your breakdowns. At number five, I don't think people will be happy to see this one on the list. But I went for Italy versus England right. in the European Championships final. The game ended 1-1, and then Italy, of course, beat us on a, a free-two penalty shootout. But I yep. thought it was an excellent game for a neutral because we started so brightly, didn't we? Luke Shaw bagged after two minutes, and then mm. it was holding off after attack, after attack, after attack, until Italy eventually equalised. And then the penalty shootout itself was so dramatic with the three young lads stepping up and missing. Probably not the right decision from Gareth Southgate to allow those lads to take the penalties when there were other options like Grealish and Sterling available. But all in all, if you look at the game, it's quite an entertaining one. Yeah, I think when I look back at that that game, James, England scored too soon and too early. And and I think it's kind of the, you know, we, we got the excitement out of that and we were buzzing for like 20 minutes. And then realisation sets in that you've still got an hour here to, to get through this. And then, be Italy, be in Italy. They're seasoned winners. They're seasoned professionals in international level, quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals. They know how to win a football game, and they seem to squeeze us. and And that is the problem. Italy equalised, and for me, from that Italian equaliser, James, it was only going to be one winner. And we got to penalties, the dreaded penalty shootout. We know what the situation is with, with England, the penalty shootouts. And it, it was no point in that, 
that shootout where I was thinking we're going to win this because the fear took over then, didn't it? Because we were all a bit, it's going to happen. I'm so sorry. I'm so sad. And eventually it did. But flipping it over, you know, we got to a final of the Euros 2020s. And we, we played really well. You know, we beat Ukraine 4-0 away. We beat ben, beat Denmark 2-1. You know, it was, we beat Scotland. You know, we beat team, beat Germany, sorry, 2-0. We drew against Scotland. But, you know, we beat teams who we, we would usually struggle against. And that's a great thing. That's experience for the boys moving forward. And you're kind of hoping we can take that experience going forward into the World Cup. Will it be different? Uh, you know, we're in the World Cup this year because obviously playing at a different time of year and different conditions, how will we adapt to that? It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But it was, like you said, a memorable game in a memorable year. And, uh, you know, with uh, Neil Diamond banging out uh, Sweet Caroline uh, with hands touching hands, you know, at the time when we couldn't, uh, it was a magical moment for everyone. Yeah, it was. And I think the England national team gave us something to cheer about during a period where there wasn't a lot to cheer about. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's important, Jane, because obviously with, with everything going on with the pandemic and, and things like that, sport became a, a, an escape, didn't it? And we, we watched a lot of sport, didn't we, during lockdown, where there was no fans in stadiums and it was everything on the telly and we were watching it as it unfolded. And to get people back into stadiums and create atmospheres it was, was amazing and, and everyone obviously took that and ran with it, obviously, with, with what was going on off the field. And, you know, when you look back at that Italian uh, Italian game uh, and, the, and the semi-final against uh, Denmark, you know, joy, pure joy. And, and obviously, it got us through that part of the pandemic. And I'm sure, you know, sportsmen and sportswomen everywhere know that they play an important part in our con- our country's mentality because, yeah, they are athletes and they're there to win. But the people of Great Britain love sport. And if they are winning and being successful, it's, it's great for the, the mental health of everybody, the whole nation and them themselves. I mean, definitely, Rob. I mean, sport is such an integral part of our lives as a community. We get so emotionally invested and these teams are the heart of our communities. And, and for you and Paul as well, you go on Salford Red Devils every single week. Mm-hmm. I mean, you even travel abroad to, to France to watch them play. And mm-hmm. it's such a massive part of your life. So what has it been like for you not being able to go to those games? And what was it like, in addition, finally being able to get back on the stands after so long off? It was tough. It was tough, James, obviously watching it um, on the TV. You're, you're only seeing kind of like what the cameras want to show you. And... Um, to be able to get back to the stadiums, it's it's the build-up, James. It's it's going to see friends in in the pub uh, before the match, or in the beer tent, or people you sit next to in in the in the stadium, or, or on the way to the press uh, press pit. There's people who tap you on the shoulder every week and say, All "Right, how's things?" And you build rapport with people, don't you? And you miss that. You, I miss that a lot during lockdown because they were there. And when when we were able to get back into the the stadium. You know, it was it was emotional because obviously being away for that long, it was it was great to get back into the the stands and atmospheres. Like when somebody scores that that cheer that that yeah, it happened when the crowd weren't there. But there's nothing like a, a crowd 
when they lose their minds when someone scores a last minute winner or or score an important try you can you can't replicate that um even though they would probably try even though when the fans weren't there and, and the players talk about it a lot they talk about how, how much the fans sort of help performances for them because obviously they're singing and they're cheering and some players react well to that to be fair some players don't react well to it and they probably played better in the the uh, the pandemic when when they were locked you know behind closed doors so it would it's interesting and I I just yeah I'd, I'd missed it uh, but I'm I'm happy that it's back uh, and I'm sure like I say with the uh, with the pandemic still here you know the the clubs and and the sport will factor that into their plans James moving into 2022 because I don't think you know sport can handle another sort of sort of lockdown. You know, we can't let fans into the stadium because, you know, sport needs fans as much as fans need sport. Yeah, definitely. It's such a fantastic thing in all our lives. And I think I speak on behalf of most people when I say that I don't think we want another lockdown. And I think that we want to be able to continue to go on these sporting events and continue to enjoy all the luxuries that life has to offer. But moving on to the fourth place game, Rob, and... We could talk about dramatic fixtures like that England versus Italy game. Hmm. But for four, I've gone for a bit of a different flavour. West Ham versus Brighton in the Premier League, a free fee draw. Right. And this game was an absolute pandemonium. All the goals were bizarre. There was deflections on goals, horrendous defensive lapses, and even a rare instant of an on-field referee disallowing a goal for handball that VAR deemed legal. Right. So the game was ridiculous in itself. But I think there's almost something that that connects with us in these spectacles where the games are so ridiculous, where we don't mm. know what's going to happen next, and we're almost on the edge of our seats. Yeah, Rob stopped grass scored twice, I think, for West Ham. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, the go- the goals were completely spread out. I mean, it was three apiece, and yeah, yeah I think he did back too, yeah. Yeah, it was like you say, in sport, you want end-to-end action, don't you? And if you can get that, um, fans, it's the agony and ecstasy in it. And, and with, with sport, and especially with football, you love to be involved in that, but then when your team is on the wrong end of that, you don't. And that, and that's sport in general, not just football, any team, any sport. It's the yo-yo effect. And, and that's what pe- makes people fall in love with sport. And it, that drama, that un sort of unpracticed drama, because obviously you, you, you can watch dramas on TV, can't you? And it's scripted and you, and you know what's coming. But with sport, it has that ability to just to, to throw in a loose one and and nobody saw it coming and it can be quite magical. Most definitely, Rob. And now moving on to my third place match, mm-hmm. a 2-2 draw between Manchester City and Liverpool and the blend between the Reds and the Citizens style is almost guaranteed to provide excitement and this game was no different. Sadio Mane bagging the first goal before Phil Foden hit an absolute thunderbolt into the back of the net and we had Mo Salah's iconic goal in which he dribbled past three, four, five, six defenders, completely bamboozled them with his mesmerising foot speed and control of the ball to score probably the best goal of his entire career. Ultimately, Kevin De Bruyne then bagged one in the 81st minute, but the thrilling encounter finished with both sides deserving a well-earned point and what a game. Indeed, what a game. Like I said, Mo Salah scoring as well and, you know, people talk about how good is Mo Salah and I think he could be one of the Premier League greats. Scores important goals, scores important goals 
and scores regularly. And, you know, you talk talk about the likes of Alan Shearer, you talk the likes of Andy Cole, uh, and even when you look back at, at Liverpool's great history, you know, um, it's it, they have had some great goal scorers, haven't they? Suarez, uh, Ian Rush, you know, they are probably Fowler, Fowler, Fowler Michael Owen. He's got a lot of talent to look, look, you know, look up to there and and compete against. And and Liverpool fans sort of love Mo Salah, don't they? And and he's obviously the talk of of contracts. And you know, it will be interesting to see because obviously the big European giants are sniffing around him, and Liverpool are a big European giant. Let's let's not kid ourselves here. So it's important that Liverpool are able to keep hold of him. Um, will they be able to keep hold of him with the Suarez situation eventually when he left Liverpool? Um, you're kind of hoping that it'll be different this time around if you were a Liverpool fan. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. But look, looking back at the game, like you said, you know, two Premier League greats going head to head Pet Guardiola v Klopp, Jurgen Klopp, you know, contrasting styles, both contrasting managers. Um, World class players on that on the field, um, playing entertaining football. Phil Foden, uh, England international, you know, showing his class, showing you know how how to how to do it at the very top. And you know, you look at how well he's developed over the last sort of 12, 18 months. And you know, games like this where he just comes on and works his magic. And you know, Christian uh, Kevin De Bruyne, you know. So, such a fantastic play for Manchester City. Him getting involved with that late equaliser, uh, the cop end as well. It's uh, it just it's kind of poetry. It's it's it's, it's kind of like what football is all about. It it's the up and down. It's uh, it's who knows. Obviously, we you know how that that can affect what goes on in in the later games against these two. You know, for these two sides. But it certainly was a a, a great game to watch. Most definitely, Rob. And now moving on to the game that's received my silver medal. Okay. And it's France versus Switzerland in Euro 2020, a last 16 matchup. 3 3 after extra time, and Switzerland, the underdogs, emerge victorious 5 4 in the penalty shootout. And there's been some monumental upsets in football history, mm. but this has to be up there with the best of them. I mean, France were not only viewed as heavy favourites to win the last 16 fixture, but yep. also the entire competition. Switzerland were merely meant to be speed bumps in their journey to becoming the champions of Europe. But obviously, the Swiss hadn't read the script. So when it went to 3 3, Jan Sommer became an absolute hero, saving Kylian Mbappe's penalty to mm. send the Swiss through to the quarterfinals of the competition. France going home at that stage. A monumental upset, Rob. Incredible stuff. The magic of football. It's, it was it was an unbelievable game, and, and we were talking, weren't we, on the sports zone at the time, saying who will stop the French because they look like and like a machine, didn't they? They were playing great football. Mbappe, Benzema, Pogba, pinging the ball everywhere, looking fantastic. And like you said, played against Switzerland. And you know what a game! You know, I mean, you you want to be entertained. You want magic moments in in you know European Championships. And and this game will go down as being one of the greatest of all time. And, and we'll sit there and we'll say, you know, can we remember this game? What what magical moments? The Pogba goal out and out of absolutely nothing. What a wonderful strike that was! Top top bins, um, you know, playing show a player showing what he can do at the very top of of world football. And yeah, Switzerland were the underdogs, and nobody expected them 
to to get a result. But they pressed and they pressed and they pressed and they got what they what they deserved. They got to the penalty shootout and then it was pressure because obviously we know, being England fans, how cruel a penalty shootout can be. And Mbappe sets himself up to be the final penalty taker for France and misses. And that and that is crucial, crucial thing for him. Because obviously he has had a bit of stick from the, the French fans uh, in the past. And he probably felt that he wanted to be that final penalty taker to you know, secure the, the victory, through, put them through, hopefully, when you're picking your five. So to be the guy who misses and then sends you sends them out is is going to be a bit of a thing on in his in his career. I don't think the French will 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 uh, will forget that very easily. Um but like you said, you know what a what a game, what a tournament and uh, we'll be looking back on that for for years and years to come. And Rob, I'm going to give you my number 1 pick. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of an obscure one. Well, but Peru versus Paraguay in the Copa America quarterfinal. Right. Six goals, two red cars, and a penalty shootout. What more could a fan ask for? This incredible Copper America fixture was so remarkable that it almost outshone Lionel Messi's winning first ever piece of international silverware. Right. Gustavo Gomez opened proceedings by putting Paraguay into the lead. However, his fortunes quickly changed. He scored an own goal and followed that with two yellow cars, which ended his tournament before half time. So a real <laughs> Changing of fortunes there, Rob. Wow. But the thrilling first segment was just a taste of what was to come, as the next 45 minutes featured even more drama, another red card, and further goals added to the spectacle before it seemed Peru were about to seal their place in the final four. But in the dying seconds, Gabriel Avalos scored a last-minute equaliser. This meant only one thing, Rob, you know it, a penalty shootout. Uh. A total of five, five spot kicks went wide. All was saved before Peru's Miguel Traco scored the winner in what was an unbelievable triumph for his country. This game bags the number one spot on the list of the best football matches of 2021. Five, it's five penalties? Five penalties missed. Wow. Can you imagine Can you imagine that being your team and, and you're missing penalties like left, right and centre on there? I mean, it's utter. It'd just be absolutely awful, wouldn't it, Rob? I mean... <laughs> I recall back, I don't know if you remember, it was an England under-21s game, and I think it must have been about 2010, they were in an under-21s tournament, and I think they'd gone round the whole rotation of the team twice Wow! in the penalty shootout, and it was just ridiculous. I think it must, must have been about 17, 18 penalties or something uh. each team. Just an obscure game, but I can't imagine what the drama of that was like, especially in South America where the game will have been extremely rough anyway. I mean, two red cards tells the tale of what must have been an extremely hotly contested game because that's how the South Americans play it. It does get a little bit dirty. Yeah, but I suppose with with, with the fact these, uh, you know, the South Americans, football is a an art form in it. And, you know, it's not all about playing a magical way. You've got to, you've got to play and win. And if you have to kick someone to do it, they believe that is the way. Uh, talking about you know the under twenty ones uh, game you were talking about, it was against Holland, uh, and they drew one on in normal time and lost thirteen twelve on, on on spot kick. So that shows you, um, you know, the pressure uh, that that they were under the under twenty ones at the time. But it is it is kind of 
South American football is a funny thing. It's it's people talk about sort of Brazil and Argentina being the pinnacle of, of South American football. Um, but there is some good sides below them as well. It's not all about the big two. Yeah, most certainly not. I mean, Paraguay have been a good side for years and mm. Raque Santa Cruz was always a good player for them. And matches like this can always be entertaining. I mean, I used to remember BT Sport used to show uh, the Australian uh, matches and they were always incredibly exciting. And I found myself enthralled with them because we always focus on the bright lights of the Premier League. But there's entertainment to be found at all levels of football. Yeah, there is. There is, James. And and, and there's football because it's such a worldwide uh, thing. You know, you can just click a button and watch any any football anywhere, like Italy and, and Germany and, you know, Holland and France. And, you know, it's not – football isn't enclosed anywhere anymore. You can you can have your eyes on anybody, anywhere, South America, America. You know, there's, 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 there's football for everyone at any time of the year, any time of the day, like, let's be fair. And uh, I suppose that kind of shows how much the, the, the world of football has grown because obviously it's a 24-hour thing now with a rolling Sky Sports news. They've got to find something to fill the time. And, uh, you know, football and uh, and rugby and, and all different kinds of sports fill that fill that need for us, span, us uh, sports fans uh, and that taste for, for excitement. Most definitely, Rob. And talking about excitement, one of the best rivalries in all of football has continued to get even more bitter recently. Of course, I'm talking about the two greatest football players to ever live, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And of course, the Argentine recently won an iconic seventh Ballon d'Or. Whether he deserved to win that or not is another issue because I know a lot of people thought that Robin Lewandowski deserved to win. I mean, where did you personally stand on that, Rob, before we get into the Ronaldo stuff? Well, Le- Robert Lewandowski uh, has been the top farmer, I think, in, in European football this year. And unfortunately, he has, he has played at a time where Ronaldo and Messi have have had this battle. And he has always been the kind of like third or fourth in that list of, of quality players. So I, I do feel that he should have been given the, the the top award this year. And it kind of makes you wonder how much of this award is is for what they actually do and what, you know, we think might they do. Because obviously, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, big money, you know, to be seen as being one of the best uh, players uh, in the world. And ah. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi still, you know, lighting up, um, you know, football even now as much as they have done when they were playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid. I, I don't think they are, but it is important for world football that they are still seen as as one of the very top um, players. But how long can they go on for? Ronaldo thirty six, Messi thirty four, you know, all uh, five a time. It's not all just caught with them, James. They're on. They're over. They're overtaking them, really. So, how how many years can they carry on? That's that's the big question. It's difficult, isn't it? Because realistically, I mean, if Ronaldo's performances for Manchester United mean anything, then mm. surely he can carry on for another few years because he's looked fantastic. Yeah, there is there is like you say in a team that suits him, it, it could it could be good for him. Uh, Ralph Rangnick comes in for Manchester United 
where, can he fit into that structure? We, we've, we'll have to wait and see how that works. But is this fitting into that structure and then suddenly being the best player in the world? Um, really, Mo Salah for Liverpool should have been nearer to the top than he was. I think he finished, was it 10th or something like that? It wasn't anywhere near uh, the 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 you know the top end, which is a, which is a shocker for me because he's, he's played so well for Liverpool this year. So he should have been involved, uh, really. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, another one, you know, carried Man City, doing big things, scoring crucial goals. Um, I mean, I mean, are these are these awards picked on who who they are or, or what they're doing? And, and we'll never know because um, obviously these the votes aren't sort of. Uh, Evaluated and and figured out who makes them and and the the patterns and stuff and stuff. But it, it is a it is sad really for for Robin Lewandowski that he didn't get that that golden ball that he deserved for, for such a wonderful uh, career. Obviously with Poland scoring goals and in Germany scoring goals and you know he should have he should have he should have been given this one for all the all the magic he's produced through the years. Yeah, he probably deserved it, but it wasn't to be. And now moving on to Messi's comments, and I'll read out his quote for you. Mm -hmm. He said, I have always wanted to better myself, not look at what others were doing. There was a competition with Cristiano Ronaldo as we were in the same league for several years. Mm. That was great, and it helped both of us grow our careers. But we weren't looking directly at each other. I just wanted to be the best that I could be. I have never said that I'm the best in history, and I try not to think about that. Being considered one of the best is enough. And it's something I'd never have imagined. What do you make of that? Do you think he really said that? Or do you think he just said, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously, you know, there was, there was kind of like a rivalry, like you said. Um, and Messi has gone to France, to PSG. And we've talked about it on the Sports Zone uh, during the year, haven't we? About where PSG and the French League sit in the in the, the ladder of, of European uh, football and has Lionel Messi decided to to take to drop out of the, the top uh, divisions and go to France and Ronaldo has gone to pre the Premier League which is still probably the best league in Europe so for Lionel Messi to get European you know world player of the year not playing in a top division in a top well playing in the top division but not in a top league in the world is a bit of a, a strange one for me and that is why I question the the process that they have to go through to pick a uh, a, a winner because for me it should have been I'd say Lewandowski or, or Salah or one of the players I've mentioned uh, because they played at the very top level um, and Lionel even though he is playing in the top division in France playing for a top side like PSG they don't play top teams every week no, they most certainly don't. And that's usually why people pick against Messi in this GOAT debate, this mm. greatest of all time debate. Because if we want to be honest, he stuck to his comfort zone, didn't he? Yeah. Throughout the entirety of career. And yes, he won 10 league titles at Barcelona, but he had the likes of Xavi, the likes of Andreas Iniesta, the likes of PK and Puyol and all these great players around him that could this team, this Barcelona side, have won the league without him? Maybe. Ronaldo moved from team to team and was brilliant in all of them. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing to remember. But he actually commented underneath this Lionel Messi thing. He posted a picture of a fan post to his Instagram uh, that basically said that he was the best player on the planet and he deserved to the Ballon d'Or. 
And he commented underneath factos, which of course needs no translation, of course, <laughs> fact in English. So uh, obviously he believes that he deserved that award. Uh, Thomas Muller, I think, uh, tweeted his disgust. In fact, I, put it, I think he put on his LinkedIn page that Robin Lewandowski was way and far beyond that of Lionel Messi. And are there a few players that could maybe argue that they should have been higher up? Was this a bit of a political decision? Possibly. I mean, I'm looking at Lionel Messi's stats for PSG. Uh, and he scored, he's played 11 games, he scored four goals and assisted three. So he is, he, you know, he's, his goal scoring ratio, four goals in 11 games. Is is that top, top, top player? Does that scream top, top player at you? If he had gone nine goals in 11 games, like we might be talking, he is probably a big player. But it does, it does kind of like puzzle me, it has to be said. Yeah, most definitely. An extremely interesting one. And when it's all said and done, because we're very close to that now, because their careers aren't going to go on for too many more years, mm. how do you think we'll look back and remember them? Do you think time will bless Ronaldo a little bit more and it will be a case of it was Ronaldo and Messi? Or do you think Messi will always be that little bit ahead? Well, yeah, so Messi's only that little bit ahead from the people who think Messi's better than Ronaldo. And... I'm a big believer that Ronaldo challenged himself by going to different leagues in different stages and Messi didn't. And we'll, we'll see, like you say, when both retire, we'll probably see it as a magical time uh, for football that we had two characters who, who were brilliant and showed us how football, how well football were was played. How they stack up against the greats of football is, is a different story when you like talk to the likes of Maradona, George Best, Pele, Johan Cruyff, are they in the same uh, bracket? Um, will they remember the same way for future generations? They might be because obviously football has um, a lot of exposure now and their goals will be um, sort of recorded and played over and over and over again when these players in the 60s and 70s and the 80s and the 90s might not have had that exposure. So they might not have had... But saying that, they had, they weren't covered as well. It wasn't wall-to-wall football back then, was it? So their um, exposure was man-made, wasn't it? So it would be it would be interesting to see how, how, um, you know, how they are remembered compared to the likes of Maradona Best and... I mean, especially moving into this social media generation that we're talking about. Mm. I mean, right now, Lionel Messi and Ronaldo are by far the best. And they have been since, essentially, I, I, I can remember watching football. It's been Ronaldo and Messi. They've been the two men. So when they go, is there anyone takes over that mantle? Or is everybody a little bit of a league below those two? Because you can argue that the two best players who's ever lived, and you've got your best and you've got your pallets as well. And of course, they're in the discussion. But it could be argued that the best two have ever lived are playing right now. So when we're they're gone, who's there to fill the bills? Who is is nobody quite as good as them? Well, I think the next two to come through will be Haaland and uh, Mbappe. They'll be the two people, two that, that that pick up the bark, pick up the the baton and go. They'll probably. Will they be face to face? Because obviously Mbappe plays in uh, in France with them um, with PSG, and uh, Haaland plays in Germany with uh, Borussia uh, Dortmund. Is it so? Uh, so it'd be interesting to see. You know, if they both say they both bag a move to the Premier League, let's say Haaland goes to 
um, Chelsea or United. Mbappe, there was talk of him going to Liverpool, obviously, because he's upset about uh, the PSG situation and uh, Messi coming in. So if they are in the same division, it helps build that excitement, doesn't it? And that's and that'll be a, a thing. Um, but yeah, like I say, I suppose if Haaland goes to City, Pep, he takes him under his wing. Mbappe goes Liverpool, adds an extra level to that, uh, you know, competitive uh, thing they've got going. Yeah, most certainly. And moving on quickly to another piece of football and news. We've not had a chance to speak about this yet, but Eric Ten Hag, mm. uh, we knew that he wasn't going to uh, he wasn't going to take over the managerial mantle at Manchester United until the end of the season. He didn't want to leave Ajax in the lurch. They're doing mm. extremely well in the league right now, top of the table. PSV and Feyenoord closing in, but they're still expected to win it. A third Eredivisie title. Doing well in the Champions League as well. Top of a group featuring Borussia Dortmund. But he is interested in coming in the summer. He says it won't define his career, whether he moves here or not. But it is a challenge that he's willing to undertake. Positive signs. And is he the man to take over from Rangnick at the end of the season? It's going to be interesting because obviously he's at Ajax now. And, you know, Ajax are a good team, aren't they? They're playing well. And... It's a it's a jump in it from from Ajax to Manchester United, but he has a, a way of playing. Scores lots of goals, Ajax, don't they? And if obviously Ralph Ranrick isn't you know the man to take Manchester United forward, because obviously he's got this consultancy role sort of organised. But let's say he goes on a run and United break into the top four, top three. Second, let's say it'll be a big decision to say sorry, Ralph, but we're going to go and give it Enric at the end of the season. So, I suppose if him coming in, um, as long as the philosophy is similar, because like I say, he's there in a um, Ralph's on a on a consultancy basis, he'll be looking for coaches who have similar philosophies. So, uh, does he? I'm not a big fan. Of, of Dutch football, James, but is he is he in a similar mould to uh, to him? I mean, I suppose so. I mean, both very good managers and Vent and Targ plays a very exciting style as well. That four two three one that always seems to deliver, and I suppose that's synonymous with Dutch football. And will be very exciting for Manchester United going forward because I know you, in particular, as somebody who enjoys his attacking football. Oh yeah, because that's what that's what it is. That's what Man United is. It's it's attack, 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 and swamp your opponent, and then the class will see you through. And if if he can produce um, that style of football and bring players in who can deal with that type of play, then Man United will go far. It took Jurgen Klopp a while to get Liverpool going, and I can see similar thing happen at Old Trafford. I don't think it'll be a quick fix whoever takes over uh, as the main uh, manager at Manchester United. Um, but we've got play, we've got people in place now who have philosophies and want to play a certain way, and I think it'll help the Man United. Most definitely. And we're all thinking about this move at the end of the season, whether it'll be Ten Hag, Rodgers, Valverde, or, or Zidane even. Hmm. But... What if Ralph Rangnick is brilliant throughout the season? This is it. I mean, I know he's got this consultancy role that, that he's bagged, but mm. is there any chance that he'd stay on further? Because he does well at every team he's at. Well, he was asked that question, weren't he, in a, in a press conference? And he and he, he said that, I think his previous job at, at Leipzig, he was he was kind of in a consultancy role there. And they said to him, who, who, who should we take, who's going to take over? And he was like, what about what about me? I think I'm I'm doing a good job. I think I should do the job. And 
I think he could, if, if United go on a big run, James, like a you know ten game unbeaten run and, and get to sort of second, third, and in, in the league, be a very brave man to say, "Sorry, Ralph, but no, just get upstairs and, and fix the club." When he's doing such a good job at the, the playing level, um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see, James. It's going to be interesting. Most certainly, but a question I want to ask you about, and I know this is the same for probably a lot of people in football, and maybe the people who've called him on this, the chairman of Moscow, who pulled him on this, is maybe a bit bitter towards him for leaving them in the lurch. <laughs> but he's claimed that Ralph Rangnick only cares about money. He doesn't mm. care about Manchester United. This is a purely business decision. What do you make of those comments? Well, it's, it, Manchester United is a big money-making exercise, but it only makes money if Manchester United is successful. His um, philosophies are, are important to Manchester United, and obviously, with a with a minute to go, James, it, it's important he gets an opportunity to fix what other clo- other coaches created and didn't quite sort of make at Old Trafford. If he can get um, you know some players in, some players out, and turn Manchester United into a force again, yeah, definitely, and. Moving on to another ridiculous story. Raphael van der Vaart has been quite uh, angry, I suppose, is, is the way to put it, with, with Lionel Messi going back to him briefly, saying that his attitude's poor and that his mm. desire's poor. And just, I suppose we're going back to this Cristiano Ronaldo topic a little bit, saying that Ronaldo has more desire. But he's talked about Messi's time at PSG and he said that he doesn't seem to think that the Argentine is giving it all that he's got. I mean... Surely at this stage, Messi needs a big win in another league to solidify his legacy. So why is he not trying to go all out to get it? It's going to be something we're going to have to speak about on the show next week, James. So that's all we can speak about on the festive show. Big thanks for tuning in and I hope you have a good Christmas, James. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Rob, and a Happy New Year. Jules Holland Hooten, Annie. Let's go. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sports Zone and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 